The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good evening, my friends. And, uh, well, what a better time to talk about uh, cozy uh, living, staying in a home, having a home, buying a home. Big theme out there, Frank Leo. The Lion uh, has graciously joined us, uh, obviously uh, an expert in the field. Uh, Frank, thank you very much uh, for spending some time with us this Saturday night. Uh, let's jump right to it. Uh, real estate market basically flirting with an all-time high. Um, let's talk about supply and demand. Uh, where are we at on that spectrum? Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yes, uh, we are very much in a in a supply shortage. The demand is higher than the supply, and that is definitely affecting the prices uh, of the of the real estate right now. What's causing the the supply shortage, Frank? Well, I, I think uh, ultimately it's the fact that our home has become much more important over the last year and a half, two years. It's where we, you know, teach our children, where we work now, where we where we uh, been vacationing because we can't leave our home. So the the focus on the home has made it much more of a of a of an important part of our our lives. But on the secondary. Uh, matter is that real estate has been shown to be a great investment because the prices have gone up. So if there's any extra money, the banks aren't giving any interest rates. Um, and, uh, you know, investing in the stock market, if you don't know what you're doing, is a little bit scary. So real estate has been kind of a safe haven where people are putting their money and uh, that's created a tremendous demand. You tell that to some Americans 10 years ago, um, I'd have to say. Uh, and, and, and I too, my friend, lost money on my first real estate trade. Uh, and, and I think that's part of the issue. Exactly what you said there, you're getting to the crux of it. Uh, everyone is a winner chicken dinner. And, and that speaks of a top to me, no different than the market. So I, I, this interesting psychology, Jack, pipe in on this one here, because I, I know this is right up your alley. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, especially for people in my generation. We haven't really experienced um, a downturn in the real estate market. There was a, if you got in early, and I'm in my early 40s right now, but if you got in early, I'm going to say 2007, 2008, there was a small blip, I would say, in the real estate market in Canada, a significant one down in the States with corrections of, you know, north of 50%, especially in some of the, the southern uh, states, the Sun Belts down there. But um, you, you speak of a top wolf, but what I would say is you need a catalyst for, you know, uh, the, the market to turn lower. Right now, interest rates are very accommodative. Inflation is very low. Government handed out free checks to people that probably would have reset this cycle. And I would expect it would have, especially some of the weaker hands that were over levered going into the COVID. But, you know, because of that, um, housing prices have really remained very stable, except for a very brief period, I think in March, there were, the whole market was shut down. But uh, like I said, I think you need a catalyst to, to um, you know, to see a bit of a downturn in the, the real estate market. And most likely you, it's going to be in employment or some kind of a recession because interest rates aren't going uh, much higher anytime soon. Well, again, I, I, as an observer uh, from 10,000 feet above, uh, it is quite fascinating to see. I, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of for sale signs in my neighborhood. 
Uh, Frank, so same thing. Well, what's taking place in the world of listings? Well, I mean, you have to go somewhere. So if there's not much to choose from, people are concerned. So that's also uh, hurting the amount of inventory because people don't know where they're going to go. So if you don't know where to go, you're not going to necessarily make the move. Uh, Are people uh, comfortable enough with the market today uh, whereby they will buy first, sell second? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, that's, they don't want to settle on their, on their home, so they want to buy something that they can enjoy. And so that's been a little bit of a, of a difficulty in finding because there hasn't been the inventory. But when the inventory comes, of course, then the competition and they won't get as much for their home. So it's a double-edged sword in a way as well. So, so Frank, uh, I, was just, I was just reading in the Globe Mail uh, the other day. It was talking about a, a unique place down in Rosedale. It looked like it's sort of like a, an, an old brick home. It looked like it came straight out of old, old England or something like that. But uh, it went for over $2 million over asking. Um, so, so what do you make of the bidding wars that are going on out there? Because the, the article basically said someone was going in a million dollars over asking. And they thought that they had a good shot at it and it ended up going over two million. Um, wow. What, what do you make of that? Uh, and how, how do you think it plays out longer term? You got to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, asking is a, you know, a random number. So, I mean, we have to look at market value as the, the real determinant of, of value. So, um, if they ask a little bit less for the property and it goes a lot higher, then obviously the price that they were asking was not a price that was relative to the other sales in the market that just occurred. Um, that being said, doesn't mean they can't go higher, but they're not going to go two million higher than the last property that sold that was similar. So, do you see people panicking to buy? Like they miss out on four or five different opportunities where they think they're actually in the game, and then all of a sudden they just say, "I just want to go in at the, you know, I want to guarantee I'm going to get the price. I'm going to overpay for it." But basically, I, I know that I'm going to be okay on the monthly payments, but I, I know that I've overpaid for the actual property. Are you well, seeing that at all? Thing, that's market value. I mean, you know, if, if that's what the market is saying. So I'll, I'll tell you where, where we're at, and this is where the difficulty comes in. So people are looking at a property, and they're saying there's multiple offers on it. Now, if it's price property, let's just use random numbers. If it's $800,000 for argument's sake, right? And there's going to be an anticipated you know, multiple offers on this property because there's not much available. So, you know, most people or many people are saying, listen, I don't want to compete. I don't want to compete. I'd rather wait, right? And we asked them in a market like this, if that property ends up selling for $850,000 because there's so much demand, right? If a week later, a neighbor in the neighborhood wants to sell their similar home, the last one sold for eight fifty. what price do you think they're going to want for their home? At least eight fifty, correct? Yeah, it makes sense. As long as it's similar, because that's the last sale, right? So yeah. the reality is, in a market where prices are going up because there's not a lot of inventory, if you're going to compete at the home for eight hundred, you're actually getting it at a discount. You're not overpaying; you're getting it for a lower price. The next one's going to start at eight fifty, and if there's no extra inventory and the demand is still there, because all the people that lost out on the original home are going to come this next one at the next price point, and that's what's been pushing it higher. So if you want to buy at a lower price, buy now as opposed to waiting if the market is in a situation where there's lack of inventory and high demand. What do you make of the, um, I'm not going to say lack of transparency, but uh, so in our market, I can look at the, the, the stocks that are uh, the bid and ask, and I can also see the depth of the market. I can see, you know, if, I, um, if, I, if it's an illiquid stock, you know, and I want to buy 10,000 shares, how far do I have to push the price up or down, depending if you're buying or selling? Um, 
there has been some talk about transparency in the real estate market, basically um, being able to see what other bidders are um, offering and, and bidding on the properties. What, what are, what's your views on that? Because most developed markets, I would say, do have that amount of transparency in them to allow buyers and sellers to make the most uh, efficient um, or actually have the most efficient outcomes. It's not that easy. The reason is that the offers can be very complex. One offer to the other is not all cash. You know, there could be conditions in there. There could be extras in there, uh, other requirements. So if you if you have a stock, I mean, you're all buying cash. It's all up front. You're buying the stock or you're not. In real estate, I mean, one can have a condition, you know, on, you know, being approved for different zoning that they can build a home that's 25,000 square feet, for example, right? Well, and the other one has no conditions. Well, those, those are the same offers, even if one is higher in price. Because one may not go through, the other one is very solid. And, you, and often we actually accept offers that are lower in price because the terms are more ideal and better. You know, it's funny. Here's one for you. Uh, I've heard of a situation where um, a, uh, a seller listed the home for argument's sake at $500,000. Uh, they received an offer for, I think, slightly over $500,000, and they didn't accept it. Uh, and the agent uh, said, hey, you didn't accept the offer. I didn't get my commission. Uh, this isn't fair. And they sued them. Uh, and they lost, to the best of my knowledge. Right. It gets down to contract law. And I, I studied basic law in university. <clears throat> and the offer is first. Just that you list a price at something does not mean the seller has to accept it. You, it is the buyer's first initiative to offer to purchase. And that's no different. I learned this in school that if you go into a department store and they have suits on the rack, it's the same scenario. They don't necessarily have to sell it to you for that price. For competitive purpose, they will and they'll price, but they don't. It's the buyer who takes that suit to the cashier and they say, I offer to purchase this suit for and whatever the list of prices. And then they accept, you give them the cash, they give you the suit and away you go. And of course, there's other factors, but it's basic contract law that people often forget. Uh, have you ever run into that situation, Frank, where uh, an offer was made in and around the uh, uh, list price and wasn't accepted? Absolutely. And there's never an obligation for the seller to accept that price. So, yes, they don't have to. And that's why you can get people underpricing properties and have, you know, over the asking price coming in. And they're not concerned because they don't have to take an offer that's brought in at, at the price that they're asking. That's exactly it. Very, very fascinating times. Well, uh, the world is changing. Interest rates remain very accommodative. And in the real world, there is a lot of inflation brewing. Uh, asset prices, commodity prices, labor prices are rising. Uh, and this is all playing into, I believe, some of the fever that we are seeing in multiple markets. Crypto, stocks, bonds, real estate. Show is Hi-Fi Radio, Global News 640 Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein. Uh, delighted to have Frank Leo the Lion uh, on the show with us this evening. Of course, my right-hand man, Jack Hartle. Show about money. If you have any questions for us, please visit our website, wolfgangkline.com. 
Performance matters, my friends. You can take a look at the work that we have done and are doing for our clients. We mark our performance. We benchmark our performance. Uh, and hey, uh, I've always made more money in the equity market than I have in the real estate market. Frank, of course, is probably going to debate that with me after the show. Uh, stay tuned, my friends. Quick break. Get right back to you. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You know, as I listen to that piece of music, I think of Cheers. I think Cheers ripped them off. Uh, <laughs> but that's for a different discussion. I'm Wolfgang Klein, show about money, called Hi-Fi Radio, Jack Ertl, my partner, portfolio manager as well. Uh, we have Frank Leo the Lion on the line with us here. We're first talking real estate. Um, Frank, part of what Jack and I do with our clients is, is something called estate planning. Um, and as people get older and their assets increase, they have to look at something that's called their estate. What, 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 what happens to all of their money when they pass away? And as, as people have become, certain people have become extremely wealthy, they begin to review their estate slightly differently, whereby they have children or perhaps grandchildren that are having a bit of a tough go. And they're seeing this excess estate and they're saying, well, I won't get a lot of gratitude per se if I pass it on when I pass away. Maybe I should help my kids now, let them enjoy some of the money now. Um, and the obvious direction for that money is often real estate. And frequently clients ask us uh, about our opinion about helping clients out with a real estate purchase. Um, and equally so, how to structure the deal. Uh, the last thing I think a parent wants is to hand Johnny uh, uh, or Jessica a $100,000 check and then Jessica meets Johnny and they get into a fight and they dispute and that matrimonial home that they purchased uh, becomes half of the uh, disgruntled partner. Uh, so it's complicated, I must say. But it is, let's start first and foremost with, with you, Frank. Um, how frequently are you seeing that type of a setup whereby the parents are helping their, their children significantly with a downstroke. And, and what number do you often, when you see that situation, uh, what, what number is, is, is usually being offered up? Well, it's happening very often. Um, and the number depends on the families, what they can afford. But I mean, I've seen quite a bit of money going to the kids um, to help them out. And uh, you brought up a great point, uh, Wolf, uh, that, you know, how do you protect that money in case the relationship falls apart and, you know, you've invested that much in the kids. Um, and there are ways to protect that, in that investment. But I mean, otherwise, it may be difficult for the kids to buy. They won't be able to do it without a down payment. Well, let's talk about how do you protect the money. And again, uh, I, I have, I'm not a lawyer. Jack's not a lawyer. You're not a lawyer. Uh, but we have some experience in this field. And certainly, uh, because we're not lawyers, you, you should consult a lawyer. But I've heard of people doing a couple of things. Number one, putting or holding a mortgage on the property for that amount of money. And that seemed to work for that situation because the couple did break up. And fortunately, there was a mortgage held by the, the, the parent 
uh, for, I guess, $100,000. So that when in time of dispute, when the couple separated, uh, the, 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 the one individual is able to say, look, my dad has a mortgage. So we owe him. We owe my father uh, $100,000. Of course, then the parent got their $100,000 back and the rest was split between the two of them. Um, but there was no appreciation on that $100,000. So they lost the growth of the money, but he's re recovered the principal. Uh, are there other ways to do it beyond holding a mortgage, Frank, that, you, that you're aware of? I think that's the best one. It's, it's the easiest and it's most legal. You can have a promissory note. There are different forms of, of, of you know, guaranteeing, signing, like like a prenuptial kind of thing. But, I mean, I think a mortgage is a simple way to do it. And you can yeah. put any terms you want into that mortgage. So it can be even with a small return if you wish. Um, you know, saying if, if they break up, I want the mortgage and I want X amount of return, you know, percentages uh, on it. Uh, but Yeah, what, what, about, what about using a trust, uh, putting it inside a trust or putting it inside a corp? Uh, my, my first my first guess at that, and Jack would, again, experience with it, probably too expensive from an accounting and setup point of view. But certainly it could be done that way too, I guess, eh, guys? If there was already one in, in place, just add to it. But it, no, I wouldn't recommend you do that just for one mortgage to be done on a, on a property. It's very easy to just put on a second or third mortgage if necessary, and that way you're protected without uh, the extra costs. Yeah, the yeah. other thing that you see sometimes, Wolf, is the parent or that's proposed to us is the parent actually just owns the property. Uh, and the, the significant drawback with that is obviously you can only have one tax-free capital gain principal residence. So for the most part, I, I don't think that's a good strategy that people do propose. And it's probably the simplest, but it's not the right one, I, I believe. Exactly. Yeah, unless the, unless the parent unless the parent uh, doesn't have another property, then then that would work. Yes. So that is that certainly is an option. Uh, yeah. Indeed, it is. Um, John, John, Frank, excuse me, uh, Frank Leo the yeah. Lion. Um, fantastic branding you've done, and uh, you know, again from a Thank business you. from a business point of view, friends at home. Uh, you know, when when you see successful business people like Frank, we can all learn from him. And, and certainly, what I what Frank has demonstrated to the, the the marketing community is that slow, steady, eddy consistency, uh, sticking with a game plan, never giving up works. I've, I've I've paid attention to you, uh, Frank, for th for over thirty years. Uh, so so kudos to you uh, and your brand development. Thank you, Wolf. Thank a, a lot of respect and a lot of loyalty and. Uh, well, that, that's it's absolutely brilliant. But uh, let's speak about the new home market, Frank. Uh, do you participate in that? Like when, when a developer is developing, uh, did you get involved in those in those initial purchase and sales, or is is it basically just the buyer walking up to the builder and dealing direct and bypassing the whole uh, uh, the agency business? Uh, we have access to to uh, new developments, and and they are good for some people, and they aren't for others. And also the timing is something you have to look at as well because um, it's all what you believe is going to happen. A home might be built in within a year, but a condo is looking at three, four, five years down the road. So you're really betting on the market being, you know, a good market for you. The builders take into consideration appreciation over those three, four years. They do factor in, yeah. Uh, again, but when you speak with builders and developers, like, well, what are they telling you? Well, what are their issues? What are their opportunities uh, that, that, that are front and center? Well, when you're buying brand new, a lot of uh, investors or buyers, they think that they have more time to actually go and buy the property uh, or save up for it in terms of the uh, down payment and putting the money down. So they think it's an advantage. Uh, what we find is that sometimes if they do already have the money and that's not a concern, they can buy 
a property for a lot, you know, a lot less now of the same square footage or get much more square footage uh, currently because you're buying at today's rates without that appreciation put in there. But it all depends on when they need it for. Oh, so you're telling me a builder will price their property and add on top of it three years of appreciation and set the price that way? Of course. Well, I mean, they have oh. to consider, you know, what's going to happen in the next three years and so that appreciation is built in. So on a square footage basis, let's, let's take Mississauga. A new home versus an existing home. Say the existing home is 20 years old. Uh, on a square footage basis and a lot basis, where are you getting your better bang for your buck? You'll get more square footage typically on a resale than you will on a brand new home. But both and build, both building land, and both build more land. So you had more land, but more building as well? Correct. Yes, yeah, square footage and land. Land was more uh, available in, on, you know, with new homes in the past. Now they're building on smaller lots. So you'll get a bigger lot, bigger home for less dollar per square foot currently. What about pricing on new homes? Uh, all I see is inflation. I'm, I, I, I literally have five drywallers in my home uh, as, as we are speaking with you, my friend. Um, and it, it's, it, it's a very busy season. And it has been for a couple of years now. Uh, even pre-COVID, it was busy, but COVID just put things into warp speed. Um, do you see any of that uh, uh, demand lightening up? Well, we have a shortage of properties, and so builders are having a hard time getting the, the, the trades to come up. So the cost of the trades has gone up. The cost of materials have gone up. The cost of building has gone up. So, I mean, that's pushing everything, you know, inflationary, as you know, across the whole market. And uh, that's putting pressure on people's, you know, disposable income. It's got to come to a head at some point unless we get tremendous raises uh, at, at our place of employment. That's the point. At what point do people say, I just can't afford it. But again, Frank, when you sit down with a client, you help them often determine what their budget will be based on their cash flow. Uh, certainly with a new buyer, you, you go through that due diligence, I, I assume. Uh, so how are you finding the debt service ratio come in for most new buyers? It's definitely gotten higher. People are pushed to their limit. But the difference with real estate and other investments is this is you're going to be paying a mortgage no matter what. The only question is who that mortgage is being paid for, for the landlord when you're renting or for yourself when you're owning. So you're paying a mortgage regardless. It's just a question of whom. So it, the sooner you get into your own mortgage, you know, these are based on 25-year amortization periods, the sooner you start paying yourself off. Because, you know, one of the factors that has to come into play, we, you know, with the, the pricing of homes coming down will be the increase in interest rates. Well, even though you buy a home at a lower price, if that scenario occurs, then the cost of borrowing money is going to be higher. So your monthly payment may not change at all. Yeah, quite possible. You know, I will say, uh, and it's, it's, I think it's a very important reminder to new buyers. Uh, yes, it's difficult out there. I understand and I respect it. And my friends, there is more to life than your house. Uh, homes are very important. And I don't think every individual should own a home. That's my opinion. Uh, I don't think singles, for the most part, need to own a house. It, it is too much of a burden on your overall cash flow. Taxes, maintenance, insurance, like, there's a lot that goes into it. Family of two or three, homes make a lot of sense. Flexibility without a home isn't a bad thing either. Um, but uh, again, the, the environment we're living in with such low interest rates uh, and high house prices, the good news is 
the math really is, is it hasn't changed in that it's still based on a 25 or 30 year amortization period the mortgages that's uh, that is but the monthly payments you are making today with a new um applicant the bulk of your monthly payment is actually being used to pay down principal or pay off the mortgage uh, which means you are immediately building equity i know when frank leo the lion bought his first home and when wolfgang klein bought his first home interest rates were significantly higher how much higher 12 14 15 even some cases of 17 and 18 percent for first for for, for a conventional mortgage um and as such a monthly payment you were doing nothing but servicing debt that's right. You're paying the interest to have the privilege of borrowing the money. It took five years before you saw any kind of uh, debt reduction and equity build. So the good news again for, for first time buyers, your first monthly payment will, will represent about, I don't know, 70, Frank, you know better than I do, 75 to 80 percent principal uh, or, or debt reduction and therefore equity creation. So it's a great way of forced Absolutely. savings out of the gate. Uh, Frank Leo the Lion, uh, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, you keep Pleasure up the mine. great work. I appreciate uh, the insight, and I want to wish you a safe weekend. All the best to you, my friend. Thank you, and you too. All the best. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it, New York, New York. Welcome back, my friends. That is Tony Dwyer's theme song. Tony, live from Bay Street. Tony Dwyer, Chief Strategist at Canaccord Genuity, Macro Global Strategist. How are you, pal? I'm doing great, Wolfie. I love, I love coming on the show and, and hearing that song. It's the only time I hear it, and I love it. It's a, you know, it really is a, it's a classic, uh, and you can't go wrong with classics. And you know, but it, it, let's speak for since I use the word classic, and this show is live. I, I, it's, it's truly off the cuff. It's as though I'm having a conversation with you at a cafe, and we just uh, chew the fat, and all kinds of great stuff comes out of it. And that's sort of how I format the show, along with my partner Jack Hartle. Um, but Tony, let's talk about classic investing. Uh, you know, here we are in a, in a, in a towards the end of a year. It's been an incredible year with some unconventional <laughs> government intervention intervention uh so so with that with the table set that way let's go back to some classical investing what do we do as investors in this environment so wolfie i, I think the most important thing to think about is this the reaction of this incredible government intervention is only different from prior cycles in terms of scale Every cycle we've had in my career over the last 35 years, um, each cycle, because the level of debt and leverage in the prior cycle is so much bigger, each cycle requires oh. an even bigger intervention from the government. So oh my. this is not to be unexpected. It has, been, it has been an incredible intervention in monetary stimulus 
just like the last cycle initial part was and the prior cycles to it. But how does it end, Tony? Because it, it, it sort of makes me nervous. And I remember uh, 10 years ago, I had a, a young uh, broker uh, approach me on, on, a, on a week tape and say, hey, Wolf, is this the beginning of the big one? Uh, you know, always anticipating or waiting for a big crash. But again, the world changes direction. Jack spoke about this on the last break. It's such an important word investment in investing. Trends only change when they are interrupted by a catalyst. Uh, well, the catalyst is pretty right. darn obvious to all of us that there's too much debt in the system at some point, and, and, and that, that allows stuff like cryptocurrency to emerge to counter that trend, likewise with the gold bugs. But at some point, uh, the chickens are going to come home to roost. And that has killed more performance. That has killed so much performance for 40 years. If you look yep. at where the level of debt, whether it's relative to GDP or the or gross domestic product, which is the popular measurement of economic activity, if you look at it, debt relative to that or even at the absolute amount of debt, it is up and to the right. And in English, that means it's going straight up just like the stock market. So for, for my entire career, I've heard that we have too much debt and it's not sustainable. It was Alan Greenspan that started it. Then it was Ben Bernanke. Then it was Janet Yellen. Now it's Jerome Powell. And it'll be the next Fed chairperson. And there is too much debt. There's absolutely no question there's too much debt. But if you look at the expansion and the level of debt, the only thing it's done is drive up asset prices. It's had the opposite effect that everybody thinks it's going to have. So when will this end badly? Hopefully after my kids are gone. But um, what now, to Tony? No, what, what about relative to the, the economy? If I may, to, to put it to try to put into some kind of context, Warren Buffett uh, used to look at the market cap. In other words, the valuation of all the publicly traded companies called the market cap of the market. What's the broad market worth relative to? the gross domestic output. In other words, how much does America's economy and goods and services produce? High. So here we are at, at another uh, ratio or factor that, that is showing you historically high, but the, the trend remains higher. Yeah, the one but no, no, I want to So it's okay, so yeah. with, again, with that backdrop, I want to pipe back into classical or just classic investing. When I say that, I think about Warren Buffett. Uh, and, and, and that's where Rip Van Winkle and Warren Buffett, I think, have something perhaps in common, where you try to shut out all the noise because there's a lot of it and you focus on some simple things that you can best understand. I'm talking classic investing and that means boring businesses. And if you forget about everything and if you can have the stomach to hold them for decades, that has been proven to be a very successful means of building wealth. Am I correct, gentlemen? You, you are, Wolf, and Tony touched yeah. on it. It's really important that the listener understands this. If you're an equity investor, there's going to be downturns in the market. Um, there's always going to be bad news out there. But you want to be a realist, but you also have to be an optimist as an equity investor. You have to, you're betting on change, technology, human ingenuity. You're betting on those things changing in a positive fashion over the long term. And historically, equity prices have risen. Well, the economy rises. And so, Tony, let's go back now to your core theses. Why don't you repeat to the market well, and our listeners here well, about no, no. your well, core theses? Before we go there, let's talk about why the economy keeps rising. Mm -hmm. right? So the core thesis, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I shouldn't have done that. No, 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 no. That's okay, buddy. The market is most directly, for the listeners, the market is most directly correlated, meaning moves with 
the direction of earnings, and that is driven by economic activity. So what drives economic activity is money availability. So when we think about the amount of expansion and debt, what is that, Wolf and Jack? That's money availability. If you're giving me debt, I have money to spend or invest. That's the key to this whole thing. We've been through a pandemic. We've been through a global financial crisis. We've been through a dot-com bust and a terrorist attack that was unprecedented. We've had all these things, and all the time we hear about there's too much debt. There's too much debt. There's too much debt. But with all that too much debt, where are we? At a record high. So the idea that there's too much debt and that's quote-unquote bad Forget my opinion, forget your opinion, as good as your opinion is. Forget it. Look at the evidence. The evidence is telling you the more debt that is created, the more growth there will be in economic activity and earnings, and the higher the market will be. That's not my opinion. That's a historical precedent. That's why I love you, Tony. You know, you can boil it right down into nuggets that we can all truly appreciate. Classic investing is not complicated. It's simple, not necessarily easy. The show is Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein. I'm a portfolio manager. Uh, Jack Hartle, my partner, also a portfolio manager. And it's like two for one when you work with us, plus the team around. And part of that team is a very, very smart man named Tony Dwyer, handsome as anything, often on CNBC. Mad Money, Jim Cramer, hanging out with all those cats on Wall Street. I was actually privileged enough to spend a couple hours uh, at the New York Stock Exchange, right by the media center. I was so dying to get on air, but they kicked me out. I, I digress, my good friends. You stay tuned. We've got one more hit here with Tony. I'm looking forward to delving into what parts of the market look most attractive as we head into the Santa Claus rally. Stay tuned. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not bow. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town Santa Claus is coming to town Santa Claus is coming to town He's making a list, he's checking it Don't hate me for that Christmas music, my friends. I just want to get ahead of the curve here on it. It's going to make it be a very interesting Christmas season, I believe. Uh, everything has gone up and uh, even the price of coal. Uh, so if you've been naughty, well, you may not even get too much coal. Uh, <laughs> that's what I've been told. Uh, Mr. Tony Dwyer, uh, our, 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 uh, you got you got a long title, Tony, but you got one handle and a half, buddy. And it's, 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 it's because you're so smart to keep, uh, you know, pushing you further up the ladder. Don't go too far because at some point, you know, uh, just like, uh, what was it, Dr. Seuss, uh, the little dog pulling up the big <laughs> the big sleigh of presents right. up the mountain, <laughs> and then he pushes them over the edge. I don't want that to happen to you, Tony. Uh, no, we don't, indeed. Buddy, you're, a, you're incentivizing the listeners to be naughty because the colds has gone up in price and they're hoping to get coal. What oh, there's a, little, there's a little naughtiness. 
It's not every one of us. It's you know, there's God, there's the devil, good evil, yin yang. Uh, no one's perfect, my good friend, and no one's no one's completely evil. Oh, even fair. bad indiv even bad individuals have uh, a sprinkle of goodness in them. I know they do. Uh, just like every you know, a, a bad stock is not necessarily a bad company. Uh, but what you don't want to do is buy a bad company. Uh, just don't. You buy good companies, and and when they look inexpensive, you buy more of them. Good businesses. But uh, Tony, this market has been so strong. It's up some twenty percent year to date. I said twenty percent, my friends. Uh, equity market, stock market in Canada, the United States, up twenty percent. Uh, and we got through the scary month of October. Uh, actually, friends. September tends to be the most volatile, vicious month of the year, not October. October tends to be the pivot point because the earnings come in. And again, as Tony said, the direction of economy, direction of earnings is all one and the same. That's what matters. The earnings season looks very, very bright. Uh, is there room for Santa to add some more gifts to this rally or you think Tana's, uh, Santa's out of steam? Well, as you, as you know, Wolf uh, and Jack, we, we turned positive on our market view on October 4th, and it's up about almost 6.5% from that point. So to suggest it's as good a buy for the Santa Claus rally um, as was the case in early October, I think would be inappropriate. However, history shows that um, we're in a strong seasonal period going into year-end. Uh, again, there's been um, uh, the history of, of the first pullback that we had uh, of greater than 5% in a long duration over 200 days took place in September when that's happened in the past, the next three months have been very solid. So I've got a lot of precedent that things, even with the gains that we've seen over the last few weeks, even with those gains, there should be a little bit more follow through, although it'll probably be choppy, you know, and, and you know, to here's where um, I, th I think it's important that that's where stock picking comes in. When you're at this point of the cycle, stock selection becomes as important or even more important than the macroeconomic backdrop. Right. A rising tide floats all boats, but at some point, uh, the boat with a little better pilot can uh, better navigate the choppier waters. Um, the other I thing I would add in there. To, yeah, go ahead, Jack. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the, the other thing I would add in there, at this point in the cycle, when, when Tony talks about that, you know, the early recovery, uh, obviously, it was a V-shaped recovery, so straight up off the bottom. Uh, with all the government stimulus checks and monetary policy that was put out there. Now you're getting towards the, the, the midpoint of the cycle, the business cycle that is. And as that happens, you're starting to see some of these things. You talked about supply shortages, people not being able to get their Christmas gifts. Uh, yeah, 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 sorry, Jack, right there. Stop, no, I want you to stop right there. because That was my point. I apologize. And good job getting picking me up here. Um, so, Tony, the, the market. Christmas is going to see shortages. Uh, Cabbage Patch Kids, forget it. You, you, you won't get them. It reminds me of the Cabbage Patch craze. Uh, before Jack's time, Tony knows what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, I went and bought myself a new car because uh, I had to buy a new car when there's no supply. That's just the way I move. Uh, Jack's probably smelling that one. Um, but, but no inventory. I am too. Uh, no inventory. Somehow I got myself a 2022 that was pre-ordered. And the buyer had to walk away from the trade. So I assume the buyer lost their deposit. I had no negotiating room whatsoever. Not, you know what I mentioned negotiate on, on, on an imported car? Uh, free tire install. Are you kidding me? Uh, that's all I got, a free tire install. <laughs> put my summer tires. I, oh boy, did I feel good about that. And I, said, and I said, you call yourselves a car dealership? I said, no deals around here. They all looked at me like I had three heads, which I often do. Um, but so Tony, the, the market. 
and, and supply shortages. The market knows some of this. Um, so how much of it has been already priced in? And is the economy, because these shortages, going to actually accelerate next year? Because I have heard some word that uh, you're going to see some deceleration of earnings and economic activity, not uh, receleration. What's your view on that? Well, well, you should see a deceleration because you're not going to grow at 100%. You're not going to grow at 90%. You're not even going to grow at 25%. It would be inappropriate in the second year or third year of recovery to get that kind of growth rate. So clearly you're going to have a deceleration. However, the supply chain constraints, like, you you know, I know you. You're going to go out and buy the Cabbage Patch Kids, not necessarily right now. You're going to buy them next year when they're available. So all its supply chain constraints that has done is, is probably smoothed out economic growth. With the amount of liquidity and money that's available, um, and lending policy being so easy by banks, with all that money that's there, had we not had a supply chain constraint, you would have had all you would have pulled forward all the demand, and all the goods would have been bought right now. Now we're smoothing it out because you can't, you don't have access to be able to buy the goods. Yeah, but is that not causing a, a greater degree of inflationary pressure? Because ultimately, when inflation runs too hot for too long the bond market will react and raise interest rates and that could be the catalyst that uh, takes away the punch pull from the party yeah but the, the then somebody better tell the u.s treasury yields because they're below where they were early this year they've fallen yeah, yeah I would I would add to that, Wolf. can you talk about a decelerator uh, sorry Go ahead, Jack, quick. Down, down. No, the 10-year has fallen from 174 to 155 today. That's almost a 20 basis point drop from the peak early this year during a time when everybody's just beginning to worry about inflation. So, um, you know, weakness is the opportunity at this point in the cycle. Great. Well, we're out of time, my good friends. I can't thank you enough for spending uh, an hour with us each and every Saturday night right here on Global News 640 Toronto. show is Hi-Fi Radio, available by podcast. Any questions for Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com. Uh, our North American strategist, head of the Global Macro Committee team, Mr. Tony Dwyer, uh, frequently on CNBC. Very handsome man, always a smile on his face. Uh, and he's, he's done an amazing job. Uh, helping Jack and I steer through some choppy waters uh, and, and see the opportunity. I can't thank you enough. Always, Tony, for all of your love and support. Uh, and also for supporting me, Covenant House. Uh, my friends, please, uh, it's cold outside. Kids, 3,000 kids will sleep on the streets of Toronto tonight. Please support my sleep out, covenanthouse.com. Sponsor a sleeper, Wolfgang Klein. It's my third sleep out. It's important to all of us that we help those who need our help, especially the youth. There are children, there are brothers, there are sisters. Please help them. Tony Dwyer did, Jack Hartle did. Uh, I am going to be stepping up to the plate. Please help the cause. WolfgangKlein.com. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.